I'm pulling out of the driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for the drive to work. Okay, so uh, in the past, I've had podcasts talking about the difference between uh, top-down design and bottom-up design. Um, Top-down design is when you start with flavor and then build mechanics, and bottom-up is when you start with mechanics and build flavor. Now, if we do our job right, you know, maybe you're not supposed to even know the difference between the two. Uh, It's just sort of technically about how we design it. Um, But anyway, I wanted to talk today about how to do top-down design. So I was going to walk through all the different things you have to care about when doing top-down design. So sort of it's a how-to top-down design day. Okay, so the first thing that you need to do when doing top-down is you want to understand your source material. Uh, So what top-down means, once again, let me explain this real quickly. Um, Let's say I take uh, a set and I strip all the names and art off the card. I just call it card one, card two, card three. There's no art. Uh, in a bottoms up set, you can look at it and you can sort of, you can see the structure. You're like, oh, it's a multicolor set. Or like you can, you don't need the names and flavor text to understand the structure. But in a top down set, the flavor defines the structure. Meaning if you strip off all the names and flavor text from it, that it would just seem like, ra- it would seem random. Like I don't know why these things are together. They don't necessarily feel like they go together. And that's top-down because you're using the, the feel of the things. The reason it makes sense, the reason it holds together, the reason it's organized the way it is, is because of that top-down element. So the first thing you need to do when doing a top-down set is you want to understand your source. Uh, there are two main sources when we talk about sort of top-down. Number one is sort of a cultural source. Um, examples of that would be Theros, Call Time. Kamigawa, uh, Amonkhet, right? Like it's it's borrowing from a, a real world place and from a mythology. You know, it, it is the things that it is doing are come from sort of uh, historical sources, if you will. Uh, another, the other large category is what I'll call sort of a genre tropic, uh, genre um, uh, oh, clumping, I guess. Uh, so the example there would be Innistrad, Throne of Eldraine, Strixhaven. You know, we're doing Gothic horror. We're doing fairy tales. We're doing um, magical school. Like we're taking things that are popular in genres and we're pulling from that. Now sometimes there's a, there's a combination of them. Uh, Kamigawa and Neon Dynasty both had elements of sort of Japan and Japanese mythology, but also borrowed a lot from Japanese pop culture. Um, so anyway, so the first thing you want to do is you, you want to understand where it is you're pulling from. Um, and that means that usually there's some reading to do, there's some things to watch, you know, there's some self-education that has to happen. Uh, and in addition, you, we, we normally like to have at least one person on the team, more, usually more than one, of what we call a SME, so S-M-E, a subject matter expert. So when we're working on something, we want to make sure that somebody who's on the design team, and like I said, sometimes more than one person, who knows that material really well. Um, for example, when we did um, Neon Dynasty, uh, when we were tapping into Japanese pop culture, we wanted to have experts that really knew Japanese pop culture. Um, and um, in addition to the people on the team, we also have uh, consultants that we give, people who are experts in the area that we consult with in addition to the members of the team. Um, and usually the consultants go even deeper than the people on the team. Um, uh, but I mean, 
when we when we go to make a magic set, what we do is we put out a questionnaire uh, in R and D talking about who knows this material, who really knows what this is, uh, and we make sure to include some of those people on the team. But once again, those are the, those knowledgeable people who work at Wizards, who who have you know design background. Um, that's why we also have outside consultants, so that we're, we have people who can look at what we're doing and give us notes, and we can go deeper in making sure that we're hitting some of the what we call the deep cuts, which are things that maybe um, the average fan might not know, but the the mega fan, the super fan, would know. And we want to make sure, like um, Hundred Handed One is a good example of a deep cut from Greek mythology. You know, if you, if you just studied Greek mythology in school, maybe you've never heard of the Hundred Handed One. You know, but if you were someone who really into Greek mythology, you would have heard of them. Um, okay, so we figure out our source. So that the first thing to do is make sure that we have the subject matter expert and the list of books, movies, TV. Like, what are the things that fall into this so we, we can understand what it is we're referencing. Um, okay, next up is you have to understand the components. Uh, and so one of the earliest things we'll do in a top-down set is we'll, we'll get in a room, usually with a whiteboard, or if, if these days sometimes we're online with a, um, with a, document, a Word document open. Um, and what we do is we say, okay, what are all the things that are part of this thing? So Innistrad is a good example. Innistrad was Gothic Horror. So we're like, okay, well, what would you expect to see in Gothic Horror? You know, we listed all the different monsters. We listed... Uh, you know, the idea of found weapons. We listed the idea of places. I mean, normally what happens here is you're listing the people, places, and things. You're listing what creatures you might find. You're listing the objects that matter. You're listing, you know, all the component pieces. You know, but the components is like, I want to make sure when I am doing top-down that we know all the things people would expect to see. What are the things that are iconic to this source material? What are things that are just really are resonant to it? You know, we want to make sure we get all the pieces to it because a lot of the card design in a top-down set is just making sure that you represent things, that you want to make a list. And this is true, for example, um, when I was doing uh, Infinity, right? That was a top-down set about carnivals and amusement parks and circuses. We just made an exhaustive list. Like, what's everything you expect to find in a circus? What is everything you expect to find in a carnival? What is everything you expect to find in an amusement park? Uh, and, and then we also wrote down even science fiction because we, we were playing around with some science fiction tropes as well. So we're writing everything down. And the reason you want to write all the components down is you want to understand sort of what, what, are the, what are the tools you're playing with? What are the elements that you're playing with? And then you want to make sure that everything on your list or you know, most things on your list show up on a card somewhere. Now, what happens sometimes is some things just make perfect cards. Um, I, I can use Infinity here as a good example. Oh, well, I want to do performers. That was really easy. We had a lot of creatures. We can make performers. Um, I want to do rides. Well, that's easy. We had attractions that literally did rides. Now, sometimes things get a little trickier. Like, for example, games. There are a lot of iconic games. You know, knock down the milk jugs or throw a dart at a balloon. Uh, and... The problem we ran into there was while we had games in the attractions, the games were mini-games, and the flavor had to make some sense to the mini-game. So it was a little bit harder for us to find ways to directly do stuff. So what we did is we found ways to put it in the art of stuff. For example, Grabby Tabby is stealing all the milk jugs from the toss, you know, the ball at the milk jugs. 
Um, so it's not a card about that specifically, but we get to reference it. Um, and that's one of the things you always do when you make your list is you try to make as many things as possible as cards, but then when you're going to card concepting, sometimes if you can't quite find specific cards where the whole card represents that, maybe a card concept can nod toward that or reference it in, in the art, for example. Um, but anyway, you want to get a really exhaustive component list. You want to understand everything that's going to make up your thing. And that is something we always do very early, and that list is something we keep coming back to. Um, I know that when I work on a top-down set, I'm always like, normally we make, the, we make a list, and then I'll go back to it, and I'll mark off things as we do it. Uh, and then usually at some point, I will go back and say, okay, what are the highest-ranking things, you know, what are the things we have, like, for example, I'll just use Infinity because it's on my mind. Um, we had done rides, and we had a list of, we had more rides than we had ride cards. So I knew that everything was going to get done. Like, for example, we ended up not having a place for petting zoo, so we ended up making uh, one of the employees work at the petting zoo. Um, we didn't have a place for, like, first aid. Um, but I did circle log flume and say, oh, we, we, that is so iconic to the experience of amusement park. We need to figure out how to have a log flume. And so I actually tagged a card as log flume, and we didn't know what it did for the longest time. Um, so that's part of making your component list, is so you understand what am I filling in, what am I missing, what do we need to maybe fill in in other places, like card concepting. Um, and so we want to make sure to be conscious of that. Okay, the next thing we want to do is tropes. So to understand tropes, what that means is... Um, there's a whole website uh, called TV Tropes that does a great job of listing tropes. So what tropes are is, in entertainment, uh, and this could be movies, TV shows, books, uh, sometimes in songs, there are certain sort of um, story elements that are just ingrained in the way we tell stories. And so when I tell a certain kind of story, odds are I'm going to touch upon some of these things that you've seen before. So, for example, Strixhaven, which was top-down magical school. One of the things we want to do is, like, um, oh, Strixhaven is a good example, by the way. So, not only was it magical school, but when you're doing magical school, you get a subdivide. That means you get to do not just magical school tropes, but you get to do sort of magical tropes, and you get to do school tropes. Now, a lot of magical school tropes already wind that in. Um, so what I mean by tropes, for example, is there are um, certain iconic archetypes, certain characters like the class clown or the overachiever or the goth. Or, they're just things that you see pop up again when you see stories about schools. Um, or, for example, the idea of uh, even magical schools, the idea of I'm in a class where I'm learning spells and, oh, the spell gets out of control. You know, there, there are certain... Um, or I'm in a, cla a magical class that deals with um, magical creatures, and the magical creatures are harder to deal with than you might expect because they're not normal creatures. Um, there are certain things that you'll see that show up again and again in different things that fall under that trope space. Uh, and so one of the things you want to understand when you're making the set is not just the component pieces, um, but also what the specific tropes are. Uh, for example, in Innistrad, yeah, we want to have uh, zombies, but we also want to have like the, the shape of the zombie outside the window, where they're, they're lurking outside the window, and you can see 
a, a horde of zombies. Like, that is a trope that is used all the time in zombie movies. Uh, so, the tropes, the idea of the tropes is I, we, we, we will go to places like TV tropes or places um, where we can find a lot of tropes and we'll also think about it. Uh, Neon Kamigawa, for example, a great example of a trope is the giant sword. And I don't, I don't just mean the, a big sword, like a like crazy, bigger than makes any possible sense that it's a sword. Um, and in Japanese pop culture, the giant sword is one of the tropes. Uh, and you want to understand that because A, you can do stuff like make a card out of it, or B, sometimes if you can't make a card out of it, you can weave it into um, card concepts. Um, and sometimes uh, tropes can make awesome cards. So for example, in Neon Dynasty, there's a card called You're Already Dead. So there's a trope in Japanese pop culture where there's a samurai who has a super sharp sword and he attacks somebody and he slices them through with his sword. But it's so clean and so sharp that the result of him slicing through them hasn't happened yet, meaning they haven't realized they've been sliced through. And so the idea is, you know, it's just it's a, it's a trope that gets shown up a lot. And we were able to make a card out of it and name, name it after the trope. Um, and so that is something that really um, helps bring it in. It's like one of the things we always look for in a top-down set is, can I make something that I can't just make anywhere else? Is there an object? Is there a trope? Is there a creature? Are there things we can do here that we can make cards that that card just wouldn't show up anywhere else? Um, and that those are some of the greatest things you can do top-down when you're making cards kind of unique to the environment you're making. Because they really, A, they're making something new that you haven't made before, and B, they really hammer home the environment you're trying to make. And a lot of doing a top-down set is, you know, you want the audience who has familiarity with the thing you're doing to recognize and bond and get excited by that thing. For example, when we're doing Throne of Eldraine, we're doing the fairy tales. Um, I want to make sure that, you know, oh, you could look and go, oh, I get it. It's Goldilocks. It's Cinderella. It's Pinocchio. That you can, a lot of the fun of us doing top down is us taking tropes in our own direction. For example, our Goldilocks is a bear hunter. Okay, that's not the Goldilocks you necessarily read growing up, but you get the, you get the archetype. You, you know, it's like, oh, what if we did our twist on Goldilocks? What if the bears aren't the dangerous part in this equation? What if it's Goldilocks? And that's a fun, you know, one of the neat things about, um, about top-down is you can subvert things, you can do your own version of things. There's a lot of fun that you can you play around with it. You know, um, you know, just as we can take fairy tale elements and put our own spin on it, we can do that with everything. Like all top-downs we do, you know, uh, in Theros, we're doing Greek mythology. Yeah, we made gods because gods are core to Greek mythology, but we got to make a lot of our own gods. I mean, some of them are analogs to the Greek gods, uh, but some of them are really our own creation of us sort of reinventing. Uh, like there's twins uh, in Theros, twin gods that represent sort of opposite ends of the spectrum, which was kind of cool. Um, anyway, so you want to understand the tropes. You want to, much like the components, you want to weave the tropes in. Okay, next up is the themes. So, okay, we're doing Innistrad. What kind of things do you expect to see in an Innistrad set? What do you expect to see in an Amiket set? What do you expect to see in a call time set? Like, what are the things that you expect to see? Um, and a lot of times the themes play, like Innistrad, for example, we wanted the idea of death to be a theme. 
We wanted, um, you know, we wanted to play in the space of, you know, we wanted monsters to be a theme. Like, we wanted to figure out how do we get those themes in a way that spread throughout the set. So in Ashrod, we want monsters to be a theme. So we said, okay, what are the monsters you expect to see? We found four of them. So we had vampires and werewolves and zombies and spirits. And then we also realized that humans were important because humans were the victim. I'll, I'll get to conflict in a second. Um, but anyway, then we made five, uh, we took five creature types, put them in ally colors and spread them throughout the set and really had the structure built into it so that the monsters and the victims became part of the structure of the set. Likewise, we wanted death to matter. Oh, we made a whole mechanic, morbid, and we brought back flashback. Like, we, you know, we really did things with that made death and the graveyard a focus. Next up, conflict. Okay, so in order for any world to work, and this is not just top-down worlds, all worlds need a conflict. But when designing a conflict for a top-down world, you want to make sure that you're tying in to the essence of what your, um, your source is. I will use um, Dynast- uh, Neon Dynasty as an example of this. Um, okay, we're doing pop culture, Japanese pop culture, uh, and Japanese mythology. So what is a core um, conflict that comes out of Japanese pop culture? And one of the big ones was that there's this dichotomy in Japanese culture between a fascination with new technology and ancient tradition. Uh, well, we, we, sort of modernity versus tradition is what we called it. Uh, and we were able to really form a whole conflict out of that. We built the set off that conflict. And then half the set represented one side, and half the set could represent another side. Um, you know, in Throne of Eldraine, we built the set out of... We actually had two different influences that were related. One was Camelot, and that's it's kind of English fairy tales, if you will. And then we had more um, fairy tales based of the, the continent of Europe. So stuff based in, like, Germany and Italy and France. Um, stuff you would find, like, in Grimm's fairy tales. Um, anyway, and then, in that particular case, we, we pitted them against each other. The conflict was the two different um, things fighting each other. In Call Time, we, we made ten worlds based on the nine worlds, the nine realms of um, Norse mythology. And then, the conflict was between the realms. So it, it depends on where, but normally when you're building conflict in a set, it's important that, I mean, we're a, we're a game about conflict, right? You're fighting your opponent. So you need to have reasons why conflict is baked into it. You know, fighting is an important part of the game in which the core mechanic is fighting. So you want to make sure that there's a conflict in there that you're representing. Who in this world is fighting? Why are they fighting? And how do you represent that? Okay. The next thing that you want to get uh, is what is called tone. And the idea there is... What exactly, it, it, these last two are sort of tied together, a tone and emotion. Um, so what tone means is, I want the world to have a feel. I want you, as you're approaching the world, as you, you the audience, you, the player, um, I want you to be able to interact with it in a way that it, it evokes something. Um, now, specifically, I wanted to evoke an emotion out of you, and I'll get to that in a second. But I, I want the world, like, you need to figure out, is it sunny? Is it dark? Is it scary? Is it hopeful? You know, different worlds have different feels to them. And you, what you want to do is you want to make sure that, the, that every magic set has a tone. 
I mean, the funny thing is, in each of the things I'm talking about here, every magic set has components. Every magic set will, will tie into some sort of tropes. Every magic set has themes and a conflict. The key to all of this is tying these elements into the set that you're making. Because you want to be making sure that um, your set is oozing the top-down flavor that you're trying to play into it. Uh, and so tone plays a really important role because tone is all about sort of what, what is the world, like what is the essence of the world. So for example, Inishrod is dark and creepy and you want a sense of hopelessness and you want to be scared. Where Theros is brighter and is about ambition and is about building oneself up, becoming a hero. Amenket was really playing into the harshness of the world and how that there was beauty and there was order, but there also was something underneath it that was um, intimidating and a little bit of a sense of unease. Throne of Eldraine really wanted to play into the sense of... Um, oh, Throne of Eldraine, by the way, makes a good example. Let me talk to this real quickly about structure. Is um, We realized with Throne of Eldraine, because um, we were playing in interconnected territory, one of the things we find about fairy tales when you, you play up fairy tales is the same component pieces show up in different stories. The Big Bad Wolf is the one in um, Little Red Riding Hood, but also in The Three Little Pigs. Prince Charming shows up in Sleeping Beauty, and Snow White, and Cinderella. Um, you know, the, the evil stepmother shows up. Like, there, there's certain um, archetypes that show up, and one of the things we realized when Structural Throne of Eldraine was we wanted to lean into that. Um, that one of the cool things about that structure was it was neat if I recognized all the component pieces, but then I could put them together in my own fairy tale. If I want the evil stepmother to ride in a pumpkin carriage, um, or, or Pinocchio to ride in a pumpkin evil stepmother is the same story as the evil carriage. Uh, if I wanted Pinocchio to ride in the pumpkin carriage, um, I can do that. Um, and so, like, different sets sort of play in different spaces and how we structure it. Um, I guess I didn't write really the structure, but structure... Structure is an also an important part is how are you putting this together? How are you building it? What is the set trying to do? Hey, call time is set up in different realms because the source material has different realms. Whereas something like Innistrad, it's much more of it's the monsters versus the humans in your conflict, but different monsters fight in different ways. And the monsters don't fight each other, for example. That the conflict was very monsters versus human, so you don't see inter-monster fights. That's not what the world's about, so that's not what we build. Um, but anyway, the tone you want is the tone is going to give a sense of making people feel like they're in the world that these stories are taking place in. And the stories have particular tones to them. Okay, the final bone is emotion. So one of the things about uh, game design is you are trying to evoke something out of your um, players. You want to evoke emotions. Um, part of having a great experience a play experience, is that you, the player, feel things. That it's not just ho-hum. It's like you get... Now, there's lots of emotions. I can make you excited. I can make you scared. I, you know, like, there's a lot of things you can go through. And the idea of doing top-down is saying, okay, what, what emotion am I trying to evoke? Okay, in Innistrad, I'm doing gothic horror. I want you to be afraid. Can I build mechanics in a way? Like, one of the things about Dark Transformation that we love, especially the werewolves, was this idea of, 
I know this thing is going to happen. I know these humans are going to turn into werewolves. And the werewolves are going to beat me if they, you know, I, I'm afraid of them becoming werewolves. Or Morbid said, oh, if something dies, my opponent could do something to me. So maybe I want to be extra careful. So every time something dies, I become afraid because something might happen. And that, you know, we really sort of built the structure and built how the set was done to make the players feel afraid. Um, Theros had a sense of accomplishment, of achievement. That you start as nothing, but you go on quests, and, and with the help of the gods, you fight monsters. You know, gods, heroes, and monsters was the theme, and we really wanted the sense of achievement. So the, the structure of Theros was about building up, that had an enchantment theme, and you had a lot of auras, and there were counters, and heroic made you want to target your things, you know. And so over time, your things got better, uh, and your mo- the monsters themselves would get better. You, you know, devotion would mean you'd build up over time. So, like, all the mechanics were building up towards something because we wanted to get the sense of achievement. And that's the other thing that's, that's important is all these component pieces don't live in a vacuum. They, they live with each other. That what I'm trying to get out of the emotion should evoke the conflict, should evoke the tropes. You know, all the things should be together. Um, you know, Amiket is a good example where um, we were trying to do something where we were making things not match on purpose that the world looked so beautiful, but the element of the world and the things it told you about felt uneasy. So you're like, everything looks okay, but I know it's not. I know from the card names. I know, like, I, I know that something's wrong, even though with my eyes, when I look at it, it just looks really beautiful. Um, and that created a sense of unease where there's a disconnect between what you're seeing and what you're feeling. Um, there's a lot of different things like that that we can play into. Um, you know, Strixhaven was all about, um, you know, magical schools. And so we really, the structure leaned into, into education, right? That the, the factions were based on different things you learn in school. That this is the history faction. This is the math faction. This is the science faction. And that, that really grounded in a way because, you know, you have, you know, the players have been to school. You, you've lived through these different things. And that... It's something people are familiar with, but it gave us a unique way that, you know, the math faction could use fractals. And, like, there's a lot of fun visuals that tie into math that aren't things we ever used before in a magic art. Maybe we won't use again. You know, like, it was something really unique. And that one of the things that you want to do, and this is true of any world, in that when the world team builds the world, when the design team builds the mechanics and the structure, we want to do something that feels unique. We want to do something you haven't seen before. You know, I talk all the time that, like, my job is to keep making magic sets and disguise it just enough that you're like, oh, this feels different from every other magic set I played, right? Like, 80 to 90% of magic sets are exactly the same. And it's that 10 to 20% that you add on that you, like, oh, well, in this set, I care about this quality. Or in this set, this theme comes through. Or I'm evoking this emotion. You know, each set, the the way we do it and the way we sort of make it matter is that we, we... care about some quality that we don't normally care about, or we care about it more than we normally care about it, or there's something we normally do care about that we don't care about. You know, maybe sometimes absence can help create a theme. Um, but that's the big thing is we want to evoke out of you, the player, something, and that means the worlds have to really think about how they structure that. So hopefully what you realize today, like, like I, the big lesson today, and in some levels... Components, tropes, themes, conflict, tone, emotion. Um, 
other than the source, the source is um, unique, I guess, to top downs. But other than that, everything is something all magic sets do. All magic sets have to have component pieces. They have to have tropes in them. They have to have themes and conflict and tone and emotion. So it's just a matter of when we're pulling, where are we pulling from? Now, I will let you know, even when we're doing a bottom upset, usually we're pulling from somewhere. So for example, I mentioned tropes. You would think, well, if I'm not doing top down, where do tropes come from? Well, the reality is even in a bottoms up, we try to find some memorable elements. You know, for example, um, let's say we're building, uh, I'll take Ravnica. So Ravnica, City of Guilds, the original Ravnica, um, we were doing a faction set that's based around multicolor. It's as bottom up as you go. If you strip all the words off those cards, you get it's a, a, a faction, a two-color faction set that will come through very loudly. Um, but a couple things. One is we want to give flavor to the factions, and so the factions are playing into something. You know, so there's trope space in where the factions play. You know, Demir is sort of this assassin's guild that's mysterious and wants everybody to underrate it. You know, you've seen stuff like that. So like each of the guilds had trope space that we can play into, and we have to set it somewhere. So one of the things we tend to do is every world we do has some real-world basing to use on. So a lot of Eastern Europe was for Ravnica. Now, it wasn't a top-down Eastern European set. You know, we weren't necessarily playing into Eastern European mythology, but we did use a lot of the, the shape language of the city and the architecture to sort of build a look and feel to it. And so even when something's bottom-up, there'll be components there. Like, we're not... Um, I guess there are exceptions. But normally, if we're building a world, we're, we're using something as an influence. Like, one of the things that happens early in world-building is they'll make what's called a mood board, where what they do is they go through real-world pictures and pop culture pictures to sort of get a sense of, here are things that exist that, put together, combined, make a feel for what we want for this world. And that... Um, so even when it's a bottom-up set, there are still component elements that have a little bit of a top-down feel. It's more so in a top-down set. Um, and in a lot of ways, when I talk about bottom-up for top-down, um, I'm talking a little bit more about the mechanical structuring. The mechanical, like, it's really a term about building mechanically. Um, so in some ways, when you're building a world, um, the world building, they are a little more top-down, I guess, if you will, in the sense that there's a lot more of finding existing things they can build off of where mechanics um, when we're in a bottom up set there are trope space we'll find and so we want to make sure we do a little of that trope space um, but it's not quite as much anyway guys I hope this was uh, uh, educational um, yeah the one the one thing that was really interesting is that uh, I have a little bit of time before I get to work here uh, the one thing we have found is that genre tropes make a little bit easier time for building top-down sets than cultural historical tropes do. Um, so I will use Amonkhet as my example. Um, so Amonkhet made use of sort of historical Egyptian and then Egyptian mythology. But the problem we ran into is sometimes your audience doesn't know the source material that well. Egyptian mythology is not something the average person do. Uh, Camelot, the Camelot part of Thorn Eldraine had a similar element. Like, you know, one of the things we'll do is we'll make a list of all the, thing, all the component pieces. And then what we'll do is we'll go around and we'll talk to people like, you know, in, in, at Wizards and try to get a gauge of 
what is familiar to people. So, like, one of the problems we found with both Egyptian and Amun... Uh, sorry, that's Amun-Ket. Uh, with Egyptian and uh, Camelot is the general knowledge wasn't very deep. The classic example I use is the Green Knight, who's one of the villains of Camelot. I mean, not the main villain, but... But, I mean, a, a decent-sized character. And we ended up not putting him in Throne of Eldrin because not enough people knew who the Green Knight was. Um, and that's not, that's not that obscure a character or anything. Um... That what we found was, like, the Throne of Eldraine, uh, sorry, with uh, Camelot, part of Throne of Eldraine, was like, okay, they know Excalibur, and maybe Lady of the Lake, and Merlin, and Morgan Le Fay. Um, and there's a lot of night tropes they know that are generic night tropes that happen to be true of this setting, but they know from just seeing lots of things with knights in it and playing magic. Um, but we, it, it just fell off very fastly. Uh, same with Egypt. People just didn't know, the average person didn't know Egyptian mythology. I mean, I'm not saying nobody, people that do know it, but um, when we're trying to make something, we want to make something that the majority of players will recognize because, like I said, the set only holds together if you understand and recognize the source material. If you don't know the source material, it seems very random. Um, so sometimes in top-down, some of the challenges have been um, when you pick something that not enough people know, and that can happen in both. Camelot is an example of a genre story where, you know, um, Amiket is an example of more cultural um, you want to make sure you're picking something that people know. Um, and sometimes we supplement. Like, one of the things that we did with um, um, Throne of Eldraine was that we, um, we very consciously, we knew that fairy tales were much better well-known than Camelot, so it was a good companion piece to it. That, okay, Camelot only has so many things people might know, but fairy tales go pretty deep. It's a very, the average person knows a lot about fairy tales just because of the way, you know, they, they, they seep into pop culture uh, pretty, pretty uh, often. Um, so anyway, not every top-down set is the same. Different top-down sets have different challenges. Um, sometimes it's very easy to make cards out of the component pieces. Sometimes it's more of a challenge. Um, sometimes elements are easy and other elements are hard. Um, so top-down has its challenges. Not everything I named today is, are, like, they vary from set to set how hard or easy they are. Um, but anyway, that's all the elements. So anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed our, our launch through um, what all uh, it takes to make a top down set. Um, anyway, guys, I'm now at work. So we all know what that means. It means at the end of my drive to work. So instead of talking magic, it's time for me to be making magic. I'll see you guys next time.